how we're trying to um, make sure that, that you're having the opportunity to grow, you're having the opportunity to connect and do the things that, that God wants you to do. <clears throat> and I know I've mentioned this, but with our life group mentality, we want you to um, be in one or start one. That's, that's the idea. Be in a life group, start a life group. Uh, either way, to try to connect with people, but also with God in the process. And, and some of our life groups are not like Bible studies and things. They are, um, one of them's a hiking life group. Um, we have one that, um, uh, I know there's a shooting hunting life group. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen any tithe from animals yet, so I don't know, I don't know how effective they're being, but, but uh, consider that, process that. We are going to be having, I've mentioned this the last few weeks, but we're going to be having times where we go uh, to the Capitol to pray. Once the, once the um, session, the House of Representatives starts again in January, this is actually a statewide thing. We're having people come to the Capitol. Different, actually, there's m- many different groups doing this, but specifically from our area here, uh, bringing people to the Capitol to uh, pray at different times. We've got it where the, all, every county in the state is going to have a day that they bring people to pray in the Capitol, and then there's different church times. And uh, we're, we're going to sign up for a few of these over the, over the springtime. The first one that we have uh, coming up is January 11. That's, that's uh, like the first full week or within the first week and a half, really, of session starting that we're going to go up as a church and we're going to go pray. And because it's early in the session, I will most likely not be busy, and uh, and then I can pray with us as a church and and uh, maybe even show you around or do some things like that. As it gets a little further into session, I can't always if when the church comes up, um, I, I don't know what my schedule is. I can't always leave and and pray, but after after you're done or sometime during the process, you can come in to the gallery upstairs in the house and uh, watch me do awesome things. So. Whatever, whatever you want. But that's gonna. The first one is January 11. We'll let you know as we go along a little bit farther. And if you want to go with other groups to pray at different times, like with our county or different church groups or things like that, because a different day works for you or whatever. Um, Cynthia, raise your hand back there. Cynthia coordinating this um, for uh, El Paso County and well, she's for a few different areas. So, so you can talk to her about that. Something that we're doing, so let me, let me kind of back up and bring you up to speed in case you're newer around here, what's happening. So we've been trying to expand our building for the last uh, few years, and uh, we've, we actually moved along quite a, quite a bit in, in some of the process. We had to go from the county to the city. We had to get um, all of the plans approved, all the stuff, and we've done all that. Uh, we've been trying to get financing for the last three years, and there's, COVID did not help that at all. It messed everything up with banks. Uh, banks weren't doing anything for the first couple of years. And um, now what we've seen happening, and during that time frame, we also did some things. Like we did all the water and sewer. Um, for the, because we switched over, we were in well and septic, and we had to go to water and sewer. And we did all that. That was almost a million dollars worth of stuff that we did a uh, year before last. And then this last spring, we tried to get financing, and now the loan-to-value is crazy, and we can't get a loan. We have money in the bank. We're putting money in savings at, at a quite a high rate, but but the banks are scared right now, specifically for groups like us. And so, so now we're going to do something else. It won't quite, uh, cost quite a million dollars. That'll be more in the um, nine hundred thousand dollar range. But um, we're it's actually much cheaper. 
we're going we're gonna to landscape, do all the landscapes. This is the stuff that's already drawn. These are the plans that the uh, city has. This is the stuff. This highlighted area at the bottom, we're going to start at this driveway down over here and uh, come all the way around the building to the edge of the, um, to the parking lot over here. And all of that south part, all the way to the corner, uh, that we're going to landscape that according to what the plans say. We've got, we're, we're putting money in the bank. We're doing very nicely right now with all of this. And uh, we want to keep going forward. Now, when, when we do this, like the, all of the water and sewer, that had to be done. So that's going to be taken off the price of the building because that was part of the overall price of the building. Same with this. Um, this, is, this is not going to be near as much, but this is going to take off the price of the building. We're, we're trying to do both at the same time. We're trying to chip away at some of the things that we know we can do quickly and efficiently um, and then also be putting money in the bank so that when we get to after the first of the year and we start heading into the spring again, our numbers balance well, and, uh, and we get the loan, and we're actually ready to build. If you want to see more of the plans and all that, it's in the foyer out there on the wall. Um, it's got, the, uh, the, I think, four different things up there that show you the plans, what we're, how we're expanding, and those kind of things. We're basically going out this way uh, with the building. And so the, the ticket price on this, they're starting tomorrow, so you'll see this over the next two or three weeks, and it shouldn't take them too long. But uh, the, the price on this is going to be $77,000. That is, um, so, so the reason I'm saying this now, doing this, is we, we some, of, some of you give monthly, and some of you give, like, in chunks over projects and stuff. We, we, we know how kind of how that works. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a project person and you want to give a chunk toward the project, we would strongly encourage you to do this. What we want to do is by the end of this year, we want to uh, have that 77000 paid off while we're still putting money in to the building fund and to savings for that. So um, throw, throw some money at this if you can. Give to it however you want to do that. If, you, if you've got questions about this or what, how you can give or what that looks like, you can actually give on your app. Um, you, can, you can, on the back of your seat, you can do that and you can give right now. Um, just hit a number and start hitting zeros until the Lord tells you to stop. And then, um, and uh, then send it, and then uh, God will, God will bless you, and you may go to jail. So, <clears throat> so uh, if you got any questions, come ask me. Any of the staff, any of the board members, uh, we we've just we just walked we're just walking through this every month. We've been doing this for a few years. Even our newer board members, they're up to speed. They know what's going on, and uh, they can keep you up to date on any of that kind of thing. So. <clears throat> um, I, I want to I want to talk about love this morning. True love. Um, uh, this is this is something that I'm not going to say anything theologically that you go, oh, I've never heard of that, or that's new, or whatever the case is. This is this is going to be pretty familiar scripturally, but this is what I. I, this is why I'm speaking. First, I'm speaking because God's really been working on me about this for months now. And, uh, and for us as Christians, what this looks like and how we actually practically apply this is where it becomes difficult. Understanding it, embracing it in a mental, cognitive way is not the problem with the church. We get it. It kind of kind of it's ingrained within our, our uh, thought structure. But it's not necessarily practiced the way that we're supposed to be practicing this. And, uh, and so this is why um, there's, some, there's some difficult stuff that I'm going to mention this morning. 
uh, when I finished the message and I looked at it, I felt like it was too soft. So I went back and, and um, strengthened it up a little bit so that, uh, so that I feel like I've got under your skin some. You know that makes me happy as a pastor, right? When I know I've got on your skin and you walk out of here going, I just don't like that guy. So um, what does it mean to really love people? And for you to ask that question, do you, do you love people? Don't, don't, as, as I'm going through this, don't immediately dismiss the stuff because you've thought about it before and put it into categories. I think we do this as Christians. We put it into nice categories. But when we talk about what does it mean to really love somebody or do you love people in a general sense, ask yourself that question. Do I really love people? Do I love all people? There's nothing wrong with loving people, some people more than others, but that's more of a feeling and an attraction mentality rather than a scriptural context of love. You know, love is not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Some of you are singing it in your head right now, right? When I say that, you're like, more than a feeling. But it is. It's It's an actual decision. It's a cognitive direction. It's a decision. We feel, we also feel love, but, but love all through Scripture is a decision that you make. It's not based upon feelings. That, that is something that God gives us, and I'm, and I'm, I'm amazed by that, and I, and I enjoy feeling love. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy loving my wife on an, on an emotional level. I love that. Um, I, I love it when my grandkids call me Papa. Man, there is... Specifically, when I can hear them, like Linda answers the phone, and I can hear them on the phone, where's Papa? Man, that, that just, there's nothing better than that. But when we're talking about love scripturally, it's a decision first. You have to cognitively decide to be obedient to what God is telling you to do when it comes to love. So here's another way to ask the question, who do you not love? And this is, always, this is not just limited to, like, a person. This can be groups. This can be classifications, right? This can be, um, I'm going to get there, slow down. (laughs) It's uh, groups, right? We're supposed to love groups. Because why? We're supposed to love people and and groups are made up of people. This, This is where it becomes challenging, okay? So you've got, there's this guy, um, Dennis Prager. I like Dennis Prager a lot. I, I watch. He's got two things that I watch. <clears throat> he's got Prager U, which are like small little videos, five-minute videos. I like those. And they encapsulate them, subjects so well when they do that. Really, really good job of that. Um, I also like his fireside chats. Uh, he, he talks uh, much longer, 45 minutes, something like that, and, and uh, maybe closer to an hour. And he really goes over a lot of information. And things, and he and he said about four or five months ago, I was looking at this, and I think the video was made actually earlier than that. But I was looking at this video, and he was talking. Now, he, here's something very important to know. And if you watch Dennis Prager on, on a regular basis, uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. the The conversation, you you always have a starting point as a human. You have a starting point, and when you're having conversations over here, where you arrive at in the conversation. Uh, comes from your starting point, all right? I, I do a series usually at least once a year where I talk about filters, that you have life, 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 just layers and layers and layers of filters. Everybody does. And, and how you hear information or how you see stuff comes through these filters. 
And that's how you disseminate the information. It's how you process it. And that's how when, when, when things come back out, when you're saying and, and verbalizing and even living your life, it comes from a, a long time ago built, 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 built to where you are now. Okay? And you can have major life changes like salvation. Salvation is a major life change. But most people don't have those unless it's through big tragedy or something like that where you, like you, like you uh, get sick, I mean like terminal, like cancer or something like that. And you can make life changes. Most people don't make major life changes throughout their life. They really don't. They kind of adjust some things as they go. And that's usually because of external pressures that causes them to do that. But to, to really process... If, if I say something like, um, who do you not love, that's going to come from a lot of background. If I say, do you love people, it's easy to go, yeah, we're supposed to do that. Okay, right? Uh, I, I saw a great Hallmark card, so yeah, I, I'm, I love people. But to really process, who, who do you not love, that's really the bigger question because that's where you have to be a little more honest with yourself, I think. There, there are people potentially that you are at least struggle loving. There are people that maybe if you're just honest, you just don't love. Uh, maybe there are groups of people that you don't love, and you have to be able to process this. You have to think through this, because why? The Lord's pretty clear that we're supposed to love everybody. That's where it gets difficult. First Corinthians 13, this is usually used to talk about relationships that we already love. There's already some kind of connection. We, we use First Corinthians 13, specifically this part, for marriage Marriages, weddings, marriage retreats, those kind of things. Uh, you can do it for family kind of stuff. But there's always, there's kind of, very rarely do I hear any of 1 Corinthians 13 used for people that we don't naturally um, love or like or want to get along with or any of those kind of things. But let's look at this. Love is patient and kind. <clears throat> Every single sentence in this little four, three or four sentences, scriptures, are, um, are very convicting if you let it be. Because there's, there's parts of your life, if you're honest with yourself, there are parts of your life, if you look at you go, oh, you know what, I'm not doing a good job with this right there. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. That's four pretty big categories. In fact, I was processing this um, Friday, I, I flew to Texas. It's, I try to do this every year. I can't every year, but most years I get to. I got guys that, um, that I went to a uh, Christian Chi Alpha when I was in college in the 80s, and we still been getting together every single year. Um, we go to a Rangers game. We go eat, go to a Rangers game, and I'm the youngest of all of them. I was 18. They were all 20, 21. One of them is, was 25, so he turned 60 this year, <laughs> but... Um, it's probably not funny. <clears throat> I didn't mention it a few times to him, but either way. But we've been getting together. So I flew out Friday, came back last night. And um, I get to the airport Friday afternoon. And um, I, I go to get my rental car. And Linda had rented a car for me. Now, she always rents with Enterprise. That's what she does. She's got a lot of points, all that kind of stuff. But for some reason... Uh, this for this little trip, she rented Surprise for me, and um, and I got some really off-brand rental car group, and it was horrible. 
they, they didn't have people working the desk. They didn't have cars. They didn't have all kinds of stuff. And I stood there for two hours waiting for a rental car. When we went with Enterprise, that's a seven-minute process. We just go get in a car. And, and everybody's getting angry. Everybody's getting upset. Um, we have, when I do the sermons, the sermons are all in the computer by Wednesday of every week. So when I left Friday morning, the sermon had already, was already in our systems back there and ready to go on the screens, all that kind of stuff. So I knew I was going to be preaching about this today. And I was processing this while I'm standing in line at this goofy car company. Love is not rude. I was not rude one time. I, I, really, I really did a pretty good job. I was frustrated the whole time. So I just, I just kept talking to the people around me and saying funny things because everybody was getting mad. Right? Everybody was getting mad. And then at one particular point, the car rental place, the, the guy behind the counter, nobody's saying anything. Nobody's attacking them or anything. They're just all grumbling a little bit. But uh, he just starts, like, attacking all of us standing in line. There are now probably 150 people standing in line for a rental car. And he starts telling us how we're maybe in the wrong line or maybe he, if, they don't, if, if we don't like this rental car company, maybe they can go somewhere else. I mean, I'm thinking you should be fired right at this Exactly right now you should be fired. But I, I, the, every time I kept thinking, okay, love is, love is not rude. Love is patient. Love is kind. Because I knew I was going to be speaking that this morning. Not because that's normally me, <laughs> but because I, no, I, I do try on these things. So, so here's, the, here's the thing. You, you realize we always use this stuff for like weddings and things. But what about, what about the person down the road or what about the person at work that you just can't stand? Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Love is not irritable. See, see, here's the thing. My wife made the reservations. She always uses enterprise. But here's the thing. I started getting really irritated at her while I'm standing in line. I'm, I'm getting very irritated with her. But here's the part that, like, I think God just kept reminding me of. She made the reservations for me. She takes care of me. If, if, you are, if you've ever been around Lynn and I in a very close situation, or you've been at the house, or you've been things like that, my wife takes care of me more than most wives I've ever seen take care of their husbands. She takes care of me way more than I deserve. She just takes care of me. When I told her I'm going on this trip, she immediately made the reservations, did all the stuff. And now I'm getting upset. If I wanted a different car company, I could have made the reservations. See, this, this comes from, we, we've got history with this. She usually, when she makes reservations for me, she thinks to herself, cheapest. When she makes reservations for herself, she's like, where would I like to stay? <laughs> I'm not kidding. And so we pick on her. Our whole family picks on her because she's made some reservations over the years. Now you're thinking, where, how? We've got two places over the years that we've picked on her about that, that are, were complete bombs, places that were, you know, the holes in the carpet and stuff like that. And, and so we always pick on her. So when it comes to hotels, she's very particular. She'll say, is this one okay? Because nowadays, 
you know, she puts me in a hotel that's decent, and she did. It was a nice hotel. It had carpet and everything. And so, um, but I'm sitting there getting irritated at her for taking care of me. She just didn't take care of me the way that I thought I needed or wanted. Right? Love is not irritable. Is this convicting anybody else besides me? Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. This is one of the biggest things in doing marriage counseling over the years that I've dealt with. As you get a married couple in there and they're struggling, they're fighting, and they're not doing well, and things are, things are um, not okay, and, and uh, all of a sudden they're bringing up stuff 15 years ago. Remember that one time when you said this? And you're like, and I hear this, and, I, and I, I'm sitting in these things, and I'm thinking, how do they remember that? Except I've got those too. It, it doesn't dawn on me until I'm saying some of these things sometimes. Lynn and I have been married 33 years. Some of the things that I'm talking about that I remember happened in the first couple of years we were married. But when I'm pastor, counselor, I'm like, guys, this is not okay. You really remember that kind of stuff? How immature is that? Right? And this is the thing. Linda even remembers stuff I've done wrong, which is not easy to do. <laughs> it does not rejoice about injustice. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit Wednesday night out of Ezekiel. That, that love doesn't like injustice. As Christians, we should not like injustice. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now, now here's one, because it's easier to do this with marriage, but it's, it's, it happens in all places of life. It happens at work. It happens in a lot of things. Where you win an argument that you know you're wrong about. You ever done that? You win. You, you convince them or they gave up or they apologized or something, but you know down deep you were the one that was wrong. But once you got in the fight, you don't, you don't, in the middle, of, I've never seen a couple that's fighting and one of them stop halfway through and go, wait, that is a, val- a very valid point. I have not processed that. You know what? I may have been wrong about this whole argument. I've never seen that. Maybe it happens. But, but we do the opposite. Sometimes we, we are the injustice and we keep fighting. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So here's the first part of this. I think for us to to, to truly understand how we're supposed to love people or, or to love people is for us to get a good starting point. So starting point is this. We're sinners. Until we, until we understand that and see that. You say, well, most, if not all of us in here are Christians. So at one point we had to have that understanding. That I'm a sinner. That's true. I don't, I don't, in fact, I don't think you can get saved unless you understand that you are a sinner, that you need saved. What, what are you getting saved from or saved to? Uh, Jesus died on the cross for what? For our sins. So, so we understand the basic concept, hey, we're sinners. But, but I've watched this all my life since I was a kid. I've watched this where sometimes the longer somebody is a Christian, the easier they forget and separate from when they were not a Christian. And they forget what it was when, when Jesus saved them. They forget what it was when Jesus 
um, freed them from all of the junk and all of the stuff. And then what happens is we start becoming judgmental against other people. We start putting up all kinds of walls and saying, well, they need to act like this, and they need to think like this, and they need to do. You know, I have, I have found this to be true in my marriage. I found this to be true as a Christian. I found this to be true as a pastor. If you will spend all of your energy making sure your relationship with the Lord is good, everybody else will be okay too. But when you spend your time and energy making sure everybody else is good, you're missing what God is trying to do with you. And that's when we become legalistic. That's when we become judgmental. That's when we become a hindrance to what God is actually trying to do. And by the way, it is normal. It is natural human nature to do that. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, that's you and I. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, not you, not what you've done, but God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Your penalty was death, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. And you were a sinner. You are a sinner. I don't like the word. I think I'm still a sinner. The only difference is now I have the blood of Jesus and the grace of Jesus Christ to, to constantly forgive me as I repent and I walk with him through that mentality. The, the idea that somehow we used to be sinners and there is no sin in our life now, that is not anywhere in Scripture. We should be walking away from sin. We should not be choosing sin. But you and I are still sinners. And it is by God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that we have access to God the Father. It's not through anything else. You can't get to God the Father yourself. You can only get to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So you and I are sinners. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from him, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not through your own actions, not through something you've done, but through the blood of Jesus you are brought to God. Now, now why is that important? Why am I pushing that? Because I need a Savior, you need a Savior. And guess what? All of the people that you see every single day need a Savior. Every single one of them. We are all the same. I need a Savior, they need a Savior. Now, we're all along the path differently. Some people are much closer to God than other people, and some people are rejecting God and trying to push against Him. But we all need a Savior. We're all created by God, and God loves every single one of us. See, Dennis Prager said that he does not believe. Now, remember, he's Jewish. But he said in this video he does not believe that there is such a thing as unconditional eternal security. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. He, he doesn't believe that either. But he does not believe that there is unconditional love. He doesn't believe it. And he strongly says that he does not believe that the Bible teaches unconditional love. Now, when he says Bible, he's not including the New Testament. He's not including, he doesn't believe Jesus is a Messiah. So all the stuff with Jesus and the cross and the blood and forgiveness, none of that is in his framework. But when he said that, I really thought about that a lot. And because I know there is such a thing as unconditional love. 
But what about Old Testament? Old, does Old Testament teach unconditional love? The fact that we're not all turned into dust about 50 different times through the Old Testament proves that God loves us way beyond his like for us sometimes. That God loves us way beyond the idea that we would respond to him properly. There is such a thing as unconditional love. And, and just the beginning of the conversation, when Jesus came to this earth, he is God, completely God, in equality with God the Father. And he says, guys, I will volunteer to be the guy that goes and dies on the cross for them. He suspends his power to be God. He's still God, but he suspends that power and takes on human flesh. That is, is the biggest shout way before we get to the cross. Just the fact that he would limit himself to this tiny little speck of dust in the full expanse of all of creation called earth, and that he would come and, and take on this tiny little form called human on this tiny little planet, that enough right there is proof that he loves us. And the fact that he didn't just show up as an adult, but that he voluntarily put himself in the womb and came as a baby. That makes no sense. That means for a, a pretty good while, we don't know exactly, but at least years, he wasn't even self-aware enough to know what was going on. He didn't, he didn't come out of the womb glowing with a robe on saying, bless my children. He was a baby. And, and that proves, to me, that proves there is such thing as unconditional love. And then he lives his life for the purpose of dying on the cross, letting human beings kill him, crucify him, barbarically mutilate him. For, for what? The people that were doing it. That's, to me, that's unconditional love. To, to the fact that he would give so much to us, and we deserve so little of this. I, I think about this when I see one of the things, and I think this comes across. I don't think there's going to be new information for anybody that's been around here more than 30 seconds. But I, I don't like religiosity. I don't like fake. I don't like hypocrisy. I just don't like it. I think religion destroys more lives than, than anything else that we've ever seen in society. More than governments, more than armies, more than everything. Religion destroys people. And, and I, to me, the idea that somehow we would forget that Jesus died for us and then push this over, we, we so easily become the judge. We begin to judge everybody else according to what we think. And the sad part about that is if, if, any, if, if anybody in your world could be honest enough with you to, to tell you, you probably have some things going on in your world that need to be changed. But you're judging others on this, and they need to do this, and they need to act like, and how they do this. And, and here's what happens is we start to, to uh, segregate people into different categories and this, what this does is it justifies and helps us feel good about ourselves. But it's very unhealthy. Is when we start putting categories, well, this person is evil, these groups are evil, this whatever is evil. This is something that maybe you guys haven't processed or paid attention to. But So we pray for another church every single week. And it's not churches that just look and act like us. And we don't pray God's judgment on them. 
We pray that God will bless them, that God will do things with them. Why? Because they are the body of Christ. And there's a lot of churches out there that do not think like I do theologically. And I'll mention that sometimes. I'll bring that up and I'll say, well, this group believes this or whatever. But do I think that those other people are going to hell because of those theological beliefs? No. I'll give you a couple examples. I I said that the statement earlier, unconditional eternal security. Once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. In fact, I think it's very destructive. If you believe that you can get saved, and what that means is you pray a prayer, and then for the rest of your life, no matter what you do, you're going to go to heaven. I think that guts the concept of what being in relationship with my Savior is. And I think it's a dangerous theology. But if somebody believes it, does that mean they're going to hell? No. It may participate in that direction if they get it wrong. I believe strongly in healing. I come across people all the time that don't believe in healing. They don't think it's for today. Does that mean they're going to hell? No. <laughs> and guys, we can, there's a handful of other theologies that I could go through. But I strongly disagree with these. Does that mean people are going to hell? No. This is, this is where the church has not done a good job over the time frames. When I grew up, I, I know this was, it was probably because of jokes and things people said. I don't know. I don't know how strongly this was actually thought or believed in the churches that I grew up in. But growing up in the Pentecostal churches, I really felt like that the Baptist, if you were Baptist, you were going to go to hell. If you were Methodist, you were going to go to hell. And if you were Lutheran, you, there was no, you had no clue. You had never known who Jesus was. That's the way I grew up thinking. And since then, I have met some amazing Christians in every single group out there. Some amazing Catholics that love Jesus. And I know that one's a big one. Not all Catholics pray to Mary. Not all Catholics pray to the saints. But, but we do this in the church. We put people into categories, and they are, they are horrible. They're evil. They're sinners. Because that's not healthy. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And it's only through Jesus Christ that, that we can even be saved. We've, we've got to do a better job. We, we've got to this place in our society nowadays. We've got to this place where everybody's against everybody. Everybody hates everybody. I've been having the opportunity to do this more and more. I did this, uh, I had one of these last week, and I've got another one this week where I'm, where I'm working with <clears throat> TPUSA Faith. And this is um, TPUSA Turning Point. That's uh, Charlie Kirk's group. And, um, and I had the opportunity to speak to pastors. This is, this is uh, awesome for me, to speak to pastors about political stuff, and um, spiritual stuff and how it all fits together and all these kind of things. And uh, one of the things that I'm strongly trying to do is get pastors to, to kind of open their eyes and resist being woke and push toward, hey, we have a responsibility as, as this is scriptural, as shepherds, I have a responsibility for my sheep. You guys are sheep. You didn't know that. So, so I have a responsibility to protect you from the wolves, This is exactly the way Scripture describes it. So shouldn't I be, if I see a wolf out there, shouldn't I tell you about it? Right? And a lot of pastors don't do this. And so 
I, I've, been, I've been critical of pastors about this for years and years and years. I've been watching this woke mentality come along long before we used the term woke. The church has kind of caught up and opened their eyes since COVID that maybe, maybe not all pastors and churches are, are going the right direction, preaching, teaching the right stuff, or standing up against stuff. So I, I'm trying to encourage these pastors to do this. And what you've got to be careful of is some of these pastors have never thought about this. If you're, if you're a pastor in most evangelical settings in today's society, you have been trained and taught and, and had this explained to you in seminary that you do not get involved in political things, that you stay away from them. They've been taught that. It's wrong, but they've been taught that, and that's the culture, okay? So when I see a church or I'm talking to a pastor and they start kind of taking baby steps toward not being woke, and they start taking baby steps about maybe standing up and saying something about abortion, right? Maybe saying something about this transgender stuff that's attacking our kids. When they start taking baby steps... We as the church need to embrace that because most churches are not doing that. Most churches are not doing that. And I'm having conversations with pastors more and more all the time now where they're starting to take some baby steps. And if we're not careful, some of the people that are already over here and have already figured it out and understand this, they turn back around and they attack these churches because they've taken four steps instead of 10,000 steps. And at least they're doing something. At least they're trying. And they're pushing against a cultural concept that as, as somebody that sits in the chair, you don't understand it. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. I understand it. When, when I announced that I was running for the House of Representatives, I had pastors all over the country attacking me, sending me emails, sending me written letters, all kinds of stuff attacking me for this. So when you have one of the herd that breaks away and says, well, maybe I can take a stand, help them, embrace it. Wrap your arms around them. Encourage them. Do everything you can. Don't attack them because they're already getting attacked by all kinds of people. It's a guarantee. When you see a Christian or somebody that is becoming a Christian or becomes a Christian and they're taking steps toward the Lord, don't attack them because they're only in, in infancy in this. Embrace them. Now, I've been processing this and struggling with this a lot because of my, my new side gig. Um, I, I have to go to the Capitol and fight against uh, demonic ideologies and speeches, ideas. I have to do that. It's my responsibility. That's what I've been voted in to do, and I, and I don't shy away from it. I think I've proved I'm going to be one of, if not the strongest, conservative voice in the House. But the people that are on the other side of the aisle, Jesus loves them very deeply. And he died for them, for them to know Jesus. I, I have to fight their verbiage. I have to. I have that responsibility. But at the end of the day, and this is where the, it's, it gets difficult, at the end of the day, I still have to love them. I still love them. I, I think... 
I think that homosexuality is a way that Satan is, is destroying people's lives. It's a demonic trap that Satan is using to destroy lives. And I think the LGBT stuff, the grooming and everything else, that is, that is demonic. It is Satan doing that. But I'm still supposed to love the homosexual. Because if I don't love the homosexual, how are they ever going to see Jesus' love and give their heart to him? How are they ever going to see? How are they going to know that Jesus actually loves them if I'm one of the people attacking them? See, this is one of the things that gets missed on the church is a, a lot of the ways that people get pulled into the lifestyle, at least the transgender and then even the LGBT lifestyle, is they find people that will love them. It's shallow, it's false, and it's, it's, um, it's con confused by perversion. But they find people that will embrace them because the church won't. That's, that's not Jesus. Jesus says I have to love them. And somewhere, it shouldn't even be me saying, God's making me. That, that's encouraging to whoever the group is, right? God said, I have to love you. I, I, every now and then, I'll, I'll tell my kids or something like that. Um, I love you enough to get to heaven. How, is that encouraging when you hear it like that? Guys, why should we love them? Because Jesus loves us and we get it. And we get it. And that's why we respond by saying, okay, then I'm going to love them. Why? Because Jesus first loved me and I will love you. It's a choice. It doesn't start with feelings. It's a choice. But I think feelings can come along with that too. Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, that is not this deep um, uh, reflective process of wisdom and understanding, okay? Listen to me with this. We can kind of understand that intuitively. God says, love, love me completely with what? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Love me completely with what? With everything about you. Love God with everything about you, okay? That, that actually just kind of makes sense. Whether we do it effectively or not, we get it. It makes sense. But the next statement Jesus makes is the one that digs down into wisdom and it's a, it's a countercultural statement that makes you, it's an epiphany. It's, it's a, something you have to process. Because then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You will always be analyzing and assessing that forever. You'll never get to the end of that. The way Jesus says that, he could have just said, and love your neighbor. But he puts a qualifier so you can't wiggle out of it. Love your neighbor as yourself, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that Satan attacks um, people loving themselves. You understand the concept of transgender is they don't love themselves. That's why they want to be something else. So if it's a guy, when a guy puts on makeup and a dress and things like that, it's because he hates what he's seeing in the mirror. He hates self. And Satan says, Satan is convinced uh, a couple generations now in a strong way. I mean, it's always been there, but this is strong in our country now. He's convinced them that, well, you can just be something else. Just change. 
But here's the reality, and I don't even like the word gender because that's a human-created modern word. But no matter how much you try, you will never be the opposite sex. You can have surgeries, you can, you can have uh, makeup, you can change, you can do whatever, but you will always be what God created you to be. And that's why suicide rates go through the roof. That's why everything. Because, because what? They're destroying themselves in the process and they don't realize it. They think they're freeing themselves. So here's the thing. If they could just have somebody come alongside them and say, you know what? I love you just the way God made you. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. And we don't do that great of a job at it sometimes. I love you the way God made you. I know this always gets said as a, people see this as a confrontational statement, but it, I, I never intended this to be confrontational, but I can't say it without it being. When I interact with transgender people, including in the capital, I do not use the preferred pronouns that they want me to use. And, and everybody else I know does. Everybody, even very strong conservative Talk show hosts and everything will still use the, the pro, preferred pronouns. But I don't. And it's not because I'm trying to misgender, although according to the definition, that's what I'm doing. But I'm not trying to hurt somebody. What I'm trying to do is to be truth in their life rather than help them with the lie. Because why? I actually love them. I don't, I don't love them to the point where I don't want them to be angry at me and say mean things. I actually love them. When I see a guy dressing like a girl, I love the guy, and I do not like the, the manipulation that Satan is trying to turn them into. And so if I, don't, if I misgender, which I do all the time on purpose, for all the reporters listening right now, I do it on purpose. I get accused of that all the time in the newspaper. I'm intentionally misgendering according to their definition. Because Why? God created them, and I want to honor that. And I want to speak truth to that. Because why? I love their soul. I don't love them enough so that they like me. I want to love them enough that maybe somehow they see truth and see Jesus. That, to me, is more important. That's, that's the whole third section here. I'm jumping ahead, but that's the third section is, is um, transcendent love, loving them past. Loving the past, whether you like me or not, I want to love you to Jesus. I want to love you to Jesus. Not to me. Churches are so bad about this today. This is why the church is struggling so much in America today, is we're loving people to our churches, not to Jesus. We're loving people to friendships, not to Jesus. We're so scared that somebody's going to say something about us. We're so scared we're going to be accused of something. I get this all the time in the newspapers. Some of you, you've sent me articles. You know what I'm talking about. I, I probably had 50 to 100 articles done on me since I became a representative. Not one of them has been nice. Not one. I've done some interviews and things with different people around the country, and those have been nice. But I haven't had one newspaper article been nice. I haven't had one TV station locally be nice to me. And they always, I'm homophobic. I'm all this other kind of stuff. I just had an article written, people were sending me last week, I think it was, within the last week. Everybody kept sending it to me, so I thought, well, apparently I'm in the article. So I looked, and I was in there, and, the, and, and it's just like always, these reporters will say, 
Um, and Representative Bottoms said this and this and this. And I've never even talked to this reporter. I've never said the things that they say. But here's the thing with me. I'm, I'm saying this to you so you get it. But here's the deal with me is that really doesn't bother me. Say whatever you want. I don't, I don't, I don't even read the articles. Unless somebody sends me an article, I don't read it. Because at the end of the day, I really don't care whether people are liking me or not over this stuff. I know I'm doing what God has told me to do. That's good enough. That truly is good enough. I don't care. Say what you want. Do what you want. Here's what I found years ago. This is like 30 years ago I figured this out. Is if somebody comes up to you and says something bad about me, if you, if you immediately embrace that, then that only tells me how you already thought about me. That doesn't, it's not like you were convinced. If somebody came up to you right now today and said, oh, I heard Pastor Scott is cheating on Linda. People that really care about me and people that really know me would say, I don't believe that. I'm going to find out for myself. That's the truth. And if, and if you're the kind of person that will just believe anything and carry that along with another rumor, that's who you are. It's not who I am. It not, has nothing to do with me. If you read an article about me and it convinces you that I hate homosexuals, then it's because you don't know me. You understand what I'm saying? I, I love people. I really do. I can't stand the stuff that Satan is doing to people, but I love people. Now, it's difficult sometimes when I'm standing in the Capitol. It really is. Because there's a lot of demonic stuff that's being said and pushed and fought for, strongly fought for. But I still got to love those people. I want to show you a little video clip. And this is, um, this is Jordan Peterson again. I show, I show videos of him every now and then. And, um, and this has been his journey. In fact, this whole video segment is, is his journey from being an atheist. And he talks about this, that he used to be an atheist. But his wife was a spiritual person, is the way he said it. But in uh, his journey that has been toward um, Jesus. But that's not what the journey was toward. He didn't know that. He's just a truth seeker. But I've said this for decades. If you seek truth, if you really are somebody that seeks truth, you will arrive at Jesus. You will always arrive at Jesus. And that's what he's done. And this, this video collection, I'm just taking a piece of it, but this video collection is Jordan Peterson talking about how he now does believe in God. He does believe in Jesus. Um, he still struggles with some of the Bible stories being real, but he'll get there. It'll just a matter of time. He'll get there. But this is him talking about as a Christian, if you really are a Christian, this is what love should look like. You know, I don't know how you lay it out properly, but you tell people that you love how to avoid the road to hell. And you don't do that because you're shaking your finger at them or because you're a moral authority. You do it because you don't want them to burn. And I think there's too much of the moral authority still in the church and not enough of the you know, the love that helps people avoid the fire. Why don't you stand with me?
Guys, we're going to fight this our whole life. Truly loving people. Not, not loving people to our way or our thinking, but just people, just loving people. I just love people. We've got to get to that place. Got to hone in right there. Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. God, first, I, I just repent. I repent of, of being able to get so angry at people sometimes. Lord, I repent of, of not being that forgiving sometimes, not being that loving. Lord Jesus, I want to help people closer, get closer to you, not push them away. But Lord, I also have to stand on your word, so give me the balance there. Give me the balance to be able to say, I know this is wrong, I know it's a sin, I have to stand up against that. But Lord Jesus, not standing up against the sinner themselves, but loving their soul. Lord, I pray that for every one of us as we go to work, there are people there we don't like. In our neighborhoods, there are people there we don't like. But Jesus, we've got to love them. So show us, teach us. Help us to see your love for us first. In Jesus' name. You created every single person. You created every person. Lord, and help us to be able to truly love the, the young mother that's trying to have an abortion. But Lord, maybe we can love her out of that decision. Lord, help us to realize we're not probably not going to be able to convince her to change her mind. Lord, we can love her out of it. the people in our community see the love of the church and specifically us here at Church at Bargate that we are known for loving people we just love people so Lord we know there's a balance give us the wisdom the understanding how to navigate this what is that balance Lord I know at the end of the day you love me so much love me more than I could ever deserve. Lord, help me. Help me to, to reciprocate. First loving you and then turn that to others and love others. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let me, let me just ask you for, for um, my benefit, your benefit, I too, I believe. But how many of you say that, that, that this would be an area you struggle in? Put your hand up. So there are some people I'm just, I don't know if I love them. I just don't know. Guys, this is, the, this is the good thing, is the Lord already knew that about you. And he can, he can help you there. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. The Lord will help you. God, we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, this is what you do. We ask you to invade our mind, our thoughts, invade our heart right now.
Lord, we will listen. We will hear your voice. We will know what your word says. And Lord, we will do the best we can to put that into action. Lord, I need to love others. I need to love everybody. Everybody. And Lord, help me to actually love them with truth. Truth of your word. Truth that we're all sinners. And truth of salvation. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray for our churches. That they would start to love people transcendently and not to themselves. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray specifically for this week that uh, throughout this week that you will remind us that something will happen and you will remind us at that moment, I've got to love these people. I've got to love this person. In Jesus' name. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to love somebody. You'll see it. You'll recognize it. Take the opportunity. Truly love them. Connect with them and see what God can do with your heart, your spirit, your mind at that moment. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how much right now you love them. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your evening.